Welcome. You are now listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Show with Roshan Lugani, Eric Olson, and Adrian Nicholson. This show is an exploration of ideas to help you work towards your ideal retirement. Roshan Lungani and Eric Olson serve clients across the U.S. They offer financial planning and investment advice through Arate Wealth Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor, and securities through Arate Wealth Management, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC, and NFA. Get ready for the financial independence of your dreams. Welcome to the Retirement Lifestyle Show. I'm your host, Roshan Langani, here with my co-hosts, Eric Olson and Adrian Nicholson. We're excited with another episode for you today. Uh, Eric, how are you doing? You have a lot going on right now, right? Are you switch, moving, selling your house, buying a house. How's everything? How's that transition? Well, we closed on our our new place last uh, earlier this week, and then we'll close on our existing place uh, four weeks later. So we've got about a, given the rules in Michigan, which say that the seller gets to live in the house for two weeks beyond the close, but no such rule in Indiana, here in Illinois, we have basically a two-week window to get everything done, which I feel great about, but it is a, there's a lot going on. And of course, there's year-end stuff for our clients, and that, as you guys know, is a very uh, high-pressure time trying to solve those last year-end tax things sometimes. How about you? Everything's going well here. I don't have to deal with the move like you do, but uh, you're right about the year-end <laughs> stuff getting uh, getting busy. Adrian, how about you? You moved recently. Uh, you're settled in now. It's been a couple months. Yeah, I'm settled in. Have a lot more space. Uh, just trying to keep busy. I mean, Eric, you're you sound very busy, but it's definitely to be it's definitely good to be busy around this time. Just staying active, working with your clients. Trying to make the move transition just as smooth as possible. I'm I'm settled in. I'm excited for the holidays. Just doing my best to keep up with friends and family now, but can't complain too much. Everything's been solid on my end for the most part. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And it's a it's nice to be in the holiday season, but I think unlike other professions, um, we actually get kind of busy during the uh holiday season with the year end planning as opposed to things slowing down a lot. So we have a great topic today to, to talk about that lines right up with uh, the year end and the, the, the season of giving. Uh, we want to talk about charitable giving, different strategies, different things that, that you can do to uh, uh, give back and make sure it's in an efficient manner. So we have strategies to share uh, to share with you today. And we'll, I'll just, I'll just uh, start us off so we can, we can go over this. The first one on our list is giving long-term appreciated securities rather than cash. Eric, I will let you take us through that one. Well, yeah. And so actually, I, I want to back up one step and just say even why this topic's always a valuable topic toward the end of the year. But with the tax law change a couple of years back that raised standard deduction levels from you know where they had been to roughly doubling them and then uh, capping the amount that is deductible at the state and local tax level. We're talking about state uh, income taxes, property taxes, real estate taxes. Um, you know, all of those sorts of things are capped under current law at 10,000. When you couple that action along with essentially doubling the, um, the standard exemption or the standard deduction, I mean to say, 
uh, what it has meant is a lot of people now are not receiving any sort of tax benefit from their charitable giving. Now, hopefully people are motivated to give charitably just because it's, it's awesome to do. And uh, it, it, it has a liberating effect, I believe, on your own heart with respect to your resources. But what we thought was important this year is to really clarify for those of you who have said, you know, how I, I want to keep giving, but how do I do that in a way that's, uh, that also has a tax, a tax benefit to it? We're here to help you with some secrets today that will, that will actually uh, win back some of that tax benefit from you, for you that you may have lost. So on the gifting of appreciated assets, I love this topic. I love this topic. And then this goes hand in hand. So we're going to identify some single strategies, but then it's even more powerful when we put some of these strategies together. And uh, the integration of some of these strategies is where I believe some of the, the, the biggest impact is to be felt. But let's just take this first one in isolation. Yeah, let, let's explain this one first. So, so uh, this is pretty simple. If you've owned um, stock, for example, uh, and you've had it for years and it's got a, a pretty big gain, what this strategy is saying, instead of giving cash, so let's just say you want to give uh, $1,000 even to charity. Instead of writing a check for $1,000, you might have this stock that you in initially paid 200 for, and you can then, uh, and it's currently worth 1000 so you can just give the stock as opposed to um, giving the cash. So there is a couple, uh, a couple benefits here. One is uh, you're not going to have to pay the tax on that gain. So if you, if you just sold that stock and then uh, donated it, you would have to pay capital gains. But by just giving the stock, you avoid that capital gains tax altogether. Let's actually put some numbers to this. So let's say that somebody wanted to get, make a gift and I'm gonna use, use the example that you just gave of a $1,000 gift. And I'm gonna assume that be, given all the other deductible things that they're doing, they are now above their standard deduction. So it's now, we're talking about either of these two approaches would get them an income tax benefit. That's a, that's a heroic assumption right now for a lot of people, but we're going to just stipulate that that's, but that's what we're assuming as a starting point for this example. So just as Roshan said, you give $1,000 and you give it in cash because you sold that stock for $1,000 and now you gift that cash. What, what do you get from that? Well, if let's say you're in a 20, let's say you're in a 32% marginal income tax bracket, and you give that stock, you just avoided, as a result, $32 or $320 or 32% at the federal level. And then depending on how your state treats um, charitable giving and whether it's deductible, that's still a different thing. But we're just going to focus on the federal side right now. Unfortunately, in Roshan's example, where you had paid 200 for that stock, and it wasn't that it? You paid 200 for the stock and it grew to 1000 wasn't that what you stipulated in your example? Okay, so you had an 80 or an 80% or in this case an $800 gain. And if you will probably then be paying depending on where you land in the in the tax bracket sequence, you might be paying let's just say 15% tax on that $80 or $800 gain. So 15% times 800 is $120 tax that you pay. 
So you effectively, yes, you got a $320 benefit, but you also paid $120 of tax. So in, an, in the nutshell, you only had a $200 benefit from that gift. What if instead you just gifted the stock unsold it with all of its capital gains still embedded and unrealized, and you just gifted that, those shares of stock all $1,000 worth? Well, now, because you didn't sell, you don't have a capital gains tax. You don't have to pay that 120, or that $120 on the $80 of, $800 of capital gains. And so you got all $320 of benefit from the income tax deduction. So in short, this strategy allows you not only to get the income tax deduction, but also to avoid incurring a capital gains tax in the first place. Yeah, Eric, it's a really effective strategy, especially in a year where there are strong market gains. This shows that there is an alternative other than just giving cash to charity because that's sometimes maybe the first thing that comes to mind when it comes to donating charity. But finding other alternatives like appreciated assets could be a very effective way to help help with your taxes at the end of the year. So just looking at those alternatives is a good starting place to really look into. So let's expand on the examples of some assets that people commonly overlook or they just it doesn't even occur to them. Um, think about what are some other appreciated assets that you could gift? Well, one, the one that comes to mind to me right away is, um, uh, is if you're a business owner, you own your business, you're able to give shares in your business to that charity if you'd like. And that is, that is, that is an incredible strategy. And so let's, let's, I'll explain how I've seen that work most easily. Some charities aren't equipped to accept units in a business, in an operating business, and because they don't, they don't necessarily have the expertise on valuing it, and and they don't know how to custody. It's just a, a little bit of a, a little bit of a challenge for them. But here is a workaround, and we'll get into this subject later. So just hear hear what I'm describing it, and. And just be patient. We'll we'll describe what this is later, but you can gift units of that business into what's known as a donor advised fund with a charitable foundation. So let's say that there Eric, is. I'm going to I'm going to stop you for a second yeah, here because I sure. want to uh, take a step back first before we get get into this, and I want to summarize just the uh, gifting of stock or other appreciated publicly traded securities. A couple, couple points. One, I want to simplify it because it sounds really complicated. If you take all the numbers and everything out of it, it's just a matter of are you going to give cash or are you going to give this publicly traded security? And if you've got a big gain in that publicly traded security, it might be better to donate that than to give cash. The second point I think that's important to make on, on that before we move on is that most charities are set up to accept this. So I've, I've encountered some people that say, oh yeah, well, it's easier to give cash or they may not know what to do just assume, because they haven't dealt with it. They're assuming the charity they want to donate to has not dealt with it. Dealt with it. And I've had um, uh, ch charities as small as like local community churches that are just set up and ready to go. 
so that the client I was working with just didn't know that they do that, but they do it all the time. They had the paperwork and everything ready to go, flagged, show you where to sign, what to fill out, and it's a really simple process. So uh, my suggestion here with this is it's not as complicated as it sounds. It's just giving stock or bonds or something else publicly traded instead of giving cash. It'll work uh, for you very well if you have a, uh, the more gain you have in that security, the better it works for you. And the most charities are equipped to accept this. So just call and ask about it. In fact, if they're not, you can just, you just can encourage them to pick, you know, pick a firm, go open a brokerage account with that firm <laughs> owned by the charitable organization. And now that, that, brokerage account can receive these appreciated publicly traded securities and then they they can sell them within that account and because they're a charitable you know 501c3 charitable organization they don't pay any capital gains tax on that exactly and now uh let's move on to uh what we started discussing which was um and on my list it's titled as donating complex assets so we talked about the um, the private business. We'll touch on in a moment other assets, but Eric, I want you to complete your your thought now. So now, instead of donating cash, you're going to donate a portion of the company you own. And as Eric said, that adds a lot of complexity in terms of valuation and so on. But Eric, please continue now. Right. Well, so I'll let me give a couple other examples of some of these complex gifts before I get into the business, because there's a little bit more to say about that and some of the opportunities that are, in, are built into that. Um, in fact, I'm going to even back up one step to the publicly traded security, because I have some people that will sometimes say, hey, I don't want to, you know, I've got a lot of gains in this one position, but I love this stock, man. I've held on to this stock forever. It's, it's, a, it's my, one of my favorite holdings. Why would I want to gift it? And the answer is, you know what? You can still love that stock. If, if you gift $1,000 of that stock, you know, we just keep using this $1,000 number, you'll, you'll, you can just go out and use the $1,000 of cash that we encouraged you to not gift to the charity, but instead to give the, the appreciated stock, just take that $1,000 and go repurchase immediately that appreciated stock. You'll still own the stock. You'll just now own the stock at a completely reset cost basis. And, and your cost basis now will be in that stock a thousand, not not two hundred. And so now you'll have a long way to go before you'll run into a capital gains tax on that stock again. So you can still love your stock and you can still hang on to that stock. It's just gift it and then immediately replace it with the cash you otherwise would have given. Yeah. And uh, Eric, let's talk about some. Did you have another point on gifting stock before we talk about other? Not on assets? stock. This is, we, we use stock as an example, but publicly traded securities could be bonds and other things as well. So I, I am on the board of a charitable foundation. And I've been, I think I've been doing this for about 15 years. So there's been some really interesting gifts given along the way. Uh, one of them, which is a typical one, is real estate. So if you have, you know, you've got have this piece of property that you were, you were thinking you were going to sell, but then the you know situations changed and you didn't sell it, and you do have a gain in it. You know what? Just go ahead and gift it. And again, if you love that piece of property, then after you've gifted it, then you can buy it back. 
and you'll have a new cost basis in it if you know if you really wanted to do that. We've had we've had a situation where a a, a farmer gave I think it was forty head of cattle. Oh, wow. <laughs> gave forty head of cattle, and then of course uh, bought them back, and then took them to market and sold them. I, I believe this is the the mechanism of how that all went. Or, or was it no? But maybe it was just that the, the the charitable organization sold them. But one way or the other, that was a really unique gift. But let's get back to this idea of of a business. Well, hold on. Before you move on, let's come. Let's just add on a few other things on that list. Uh, you mentioned we mentioned private stock. Uh, if you've been granted restricted stock from your firm, you can typically give that as well. Um, you mentioned real estate, uh, alternative investments. These are these are investments that aren't publicly traded. Can also be uh, donated. Uh, and the last one I think that I have on my list that I think is interesting for this year in particular is uh, cryptocurrency. Uh, uh, cryptocurrency, you know, Bitcoin, uh, Ethereum, Ripple, just naming a few. They've all had really good years, right? So Adrian mentioned earlier how there have been a lot of gains uh, in general and in the markets. Well. If you put money in Bitcoin in January, it's up like 90%. Now, granted, that's on the heels of some hefty losses over the last, the previous few years. But if you were to buy it earlier this year, you've got a really big gain right now. And that may be a way that you can donate to charity uh, as well and um, not have to take a hit on that on that gain. Do you have any other complex assets that, that come to mind? I've gone through the list that I have. Well... Uh, no, I think I think really the idea the the principle is rather than necessarily enumerating every possible asset is just to say if it's appreciated, gift it. And it, by the way, if it's not appreciated, if it's actually down from where you bought it, don't give that. Yes, if it's down, sell that sell one. Capture the tax, harvest the tax loss, put that in your tax loss piggy bank, and save it until you actually need it against some gains. Yeah, don't don't gift the the stocks that are down. Uh, and yeah, so anyway, let's go to the business. So gifting units of a business. So some, what, what if I'm a private business? So I'm going to ask you guys this. I'm a private business owner and I say, okay, I'm going to gift some units of my business. How do, how in the world is that going to work? I mean, how am I going to operate it? How in the future would I sell it? You know, what, what, how does that work? So do you want to, I have, you know, I can explain that, but you guys want to give it a shot and, and talk about how that all the mechanism that works from that point. Well, you'd have to value the business first, right? You have to value you have, it. You have to value it to know what you're giving. And I know that there's some um, donor advised funds that are prepared. You know, they're sort of set up to accept these types of uh, assets. Uh, one of the major benefits with this, though, if you, if you started a company from scratch, is you have no cost basis, right? So you, you start if you started it with nothing, your cost basis could be pretty close to zero, um, uh, you know, if it's a C corp or an S corp, so this could be a very big opportunity. So I would say step one is to, to value that stock that you'll be donating. And, um, uh, you know, even before step one, you've got to find out if your charity can accept that, or if you've got to look at a donor advised fund. Right. And I'm going to just say to save people a lot of time on that one, I'm going to suggest that you, you work with one of the big um, the big private, the big uh, foundations, charitable foundations that are out there, and I will, I'll list off a few. And this is not to advocate for any single one of them. I use one of one of these, but I'm not here to I'm not here to get into the weeds of you know the the, the 
nitpicky about which ones are necessarily have a slight edge here or there. But um, the biggest ones are Fidelity Charitable, Schwab Charitable, Vanguard Charitable, and National Christian Foundation. So those those four, um, you can set up a, a arrangement or a meeting with one of their reps and just say, hey, I would like to gift units of this business. Are, are you game for doing this? And if they go, yeah, absolutely, we'd, we'd love to help you with that, then they would you would open a donor advised fund. In other words, it's in your name, or you can call it whatever you want to, the XYZ donor advised fund, but you're the, you're the grantor and, or the donor. Then you gift to the charity, but that, those units are put into that donor advised fund. And then with that, uh, you, you proceed from there. You then, they can sell units, and the a likely buyer might be you as, the, as those units. Uh, but then it, from that cash that's generated from the sale of those units, then um, you could gift those if your intention is immediately to transfer cash to some you know, genuine third-party 501c3. But here's what a lot of people do, is they gift it, those units of their business, to the charitable foundation, which then resides in this donor-advised fund. But they don't, they don't actually sell those units or or for that matter buy them back they just they're they just get in the year in which they make the contribution they get a tax deduction from their income on those on those assets so um hold on let's start let's go back to that how how a donor advised fund works you make a irrevocable contribution to the donor advised funds whether it's uh a complex asset, cash, whatever. You get that tax deduction today. That money in that donor advised fund can continue to grow and then you can give that money to charities over time, to the charities of your choice over time. Right. And then, you know how you always get a letter when you have just given directly to a charity at the end of the year they'll give you a giving report. Here's how much we received from you during calendar year 2020, for example. You'll get that letter in January or whatever. In this case, if let's say you made the gift to the donor advice fund in 2020, but you sort of then pieced it out to the charitable, the charities to which you normally give, you piece out um, over 2021, 2022, 2023, or however long you're giving, um, you're, you elongate that giving period, they're not going to send you a letter in those future years saying, thank you for your tax deductible gift in 2021, 2022, They're going to say, hey, thank you for directing your donor advised fund to give us, you know, to make this gift to us in each of these years for which you received a tax deduction back in 2020. Well, I'm, I'm adding in that. They don't know that. But you're, in other words, the point is, is that they'll acknowledge it, but it's not, it, it leads to a concentrated tax deduction in the one year in which you make the gift. Why is that a useful strategy? Well, one reason is, is that for, especially for some entrepreneurs, or if you've had a windfall gain on some sort of position that you held or something like this, you're suddenly, your, your income may not be level from year to year. It may be spiked in one year. And so that's a perfect year to try to offset some of that spike. Yeah, and I'll give you a real-life example with a client I'm working with right now is uh, uh, she's in the mortgage business. So this year, with interest rates being as low as they are, um, uh, she's making roughly four times what she's used to, right? So she's up in a higher in a higher tax bracket. And um, so this would be a great year for her to do this donor-advised fund, give up 
money this year because she's at a higher than tax bracket and get all the deduction this year, but then donate the money over time. Right. Yeah, that's that's the beauty of this is that you can elongate that giving period to match what your normal giving is, but you don't have to say you know, you, you can you can concentrate the giving in the year where it's going to do you the most good. So, I I'll just say one more thing for the business owner who might be concerned about this, you know, what happens what if I gift units away? Do I forfeit control? I mean, what huh? What if I gave more than, you know, more than 51% of the business away, then who's going to run it or who's, you know, who makes decisions? And the answer is, is that you can structure the gift in such a way that you still are operationally the only, you know, person who's making decisions about how the business moves forward. And that can go on, honestly, for decades. And that can be done intergenerationally. So uh, there, there's some really big businesses that are, that are owned by charities that are run by the operators who once upon a time gave them. They're growing, they're thriving. You know, they're, they have lots of revenue that they're, they're, gifting, uh, they're gifting off as well. So, you know, there is a, um, you know, there's, a, there's not, I, I just don't want business owners to think that this is something that, um, you know, can't apply to them because they, they have a long, a long-term desire to remain operationally in control of their businesses. You can, st- you can still do that. You can still pay yourself a salary, et cetera, et cetera. It's just uh, that when, you know, especially if you've gotten to the multi-million dollar size of this, of this business, and now you might be faced with an estate tax problem, it, well, you can avoid this estate tax problem if you go about it in this way. I'll, I'll give one caveat to what I've just said, and then, gentlemen, i I, maybe it's time to switch to a different thing. The IRS won't always be super happy with you if you gift too much of a business. They may, they may want to argue uh, that you, you've done something improper. And I, I, if you want, you can contact us, and I'll tell you about some of the cases where precedent has been established to make this a viable approach and in uh, nutshell version is, is that others who have kind of blazed the trail here and gone before you have uh, spent a lot on, on you know, legal uh, arguments that they've won. And now there's established precedent for doing uh, precisely this sort of thing so that you don't have to go through the, that laborious legal process to defend the decision to make that kind of a gift. Yeah, having the tax paper trail is kind of really important when it comes to all that. And again, the donor advised fund just gives you a lot of flexibility and control when it comes to distribution. So it's all really important stuff to consider when you're looking to all this. Yeah, but uh, you know, we 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 sort of uh, went into multiple topics now. So I just want to give a quick summary of what we covered and and an additional note. First is we talked about giving long-term appreciated securities instead of cash. Um, we talked about using some complex assets like the like the business, private business that you own uh, instead of cash. And then we touched on using donor-advised funds. I think it's important to note that you can set up a donor-advised funds. Eric, you mentioned um, 
four organizations uh, was uh, Fidelity, Schwab, Vanguard, and Christian Charities. Is that correct? National Christian Foundation or NCF. National Christian Foundation. Those are the four biggest. Uh, with Fidelity and Schwab, you can set up a donor advised fund for as little as $5,000. And then they require you to put in $50 every three years. Um, Vanguard's number is a little higher. It's 25000 But I just bring this up because... I think when you hear donor advised funds, a lot of people may think, well, I've got to be donating a lot of money or I need millions of dollars to set this up. Well, no, it's it's a pretty small number. And I'm going to use that to transition us to our next topic, because this is where a donor advised fund could potentially ha- help as well. Or an alternative to a donor advised fund would be using a bunching strategy from year to year. Uh, and Eric, I'll let you explain that one as well. Sure. So let's, what is Roshan talking about? The idea of bunching. Well, let's, let's just go back to this concept of once upon a time when standard deductions were low and the amount that you could deduct for state and local taxes, including income taxes and real estate taxes, property taxes, the whole nine yards, it was routine for people to itemize and get more deductions than they would get on their standard deduction. But when the, the one-two punch of capping state and local taxes at 10000 of deductibility, you're doing that, and then also raising the, uh, raising the standard deduction, as an example here, for a married couple filing jointly in 2020 to 24800 there's take 24,800, subtract the 10,000 that I just said was, was your cap at the state and local. If in fact you have, you know, state and local, it's more than 10,000 and most people do just, you know, property taxes, income taxes get you there in a hurry. Yeah, then of that other 14,800, a portion of that maybe if you still have a mortgage on your home, you've got some maybe mortgage interest in there. But with low mortgage interest rates now, you would probably have... If you refinanced, you probably have less of that. So you might have, you know, I don't know, uh, $10,000, $12,000 of remaining capacity underneath that standard deduction that you're not really using. And you might say, well, no, but we're giving charitably. Yeah, but you're not itemizing if you're not exceeding that $24,800, are you? So as a result, you're not getting any more tax benefit by virtue of making that gift up to that, let's say, ten dollars or $12,000 level that gets you above the standard deduction, then you would have, if you didn't give at all. And by the way, this, this is not an argument for don't give. This is an argument for let us help you give in a way that gives you a tax benefit. So deduction clustering or deduction bunching works like this. You might say, hey, how, you know, how much do we give? So let's use, let's use uh, I'm going to just make up a couple. Let's, we'll just call them uh, Bob and Sally. I'd Random. So Bob and this is not referring to any single person. It's just as an example. Bob and Sally say, "Hey, we like to give nine thousand dollars a year." Okay. Well, given the example that I just gave, that nine thousand dollars a year is not going to get them across that twenty-four thousand eight hundred threshold. So none of it is going to be having an additional tax benefit to them. What if? What if Bob and Sally said, "Hey, you know, we're savers." Why don't we just put some money into a cash account and and we won't give um, every year? Instead, what we'll do is we'll take the $9,000 that we give every year and we'll every third year 
give $27,000. We'll still be giving on average the same amount, but in the year in which we don't, the two years in which we don't give new $9,000 allotments, we're still going to get that $24,800 tax deduction because it's going to be our standard deduction. But in the year in which we do give, now we've got $27,000 on top of, let's say, our $10,000 of state and local taxes and maybe our $3,000 of, of mortgage interest. And, and what have we got? We've got a $40,000 itemized deduction set. So think of that. Year one, $40,000 of deductions. Year two, 24,008. Let me just call it 25 to make this math super simple. So $25,000 of deductions. And year three, $25,000 of deductions using itemized in year one and standard deductions in each of years two and three. Tally up those three years of deductions. 40 plus 25 plus 25, that's 90. $90,000 of deductions across that three-year cycle. That is essentially $15,000 more deductions than you would have had if instead Bob and Sally had got given 9,000 each year and only gotten 25 using their standard, 25 using their standard, and 25 using their standard. That's that first year where they got above the 25 and got to 40. Now that $15,000 is, is actually is grabbing hold of some additional tax benefit. And if they are in, using our previous conversation, for example, 32% marginal income tax bracket, 32% times the 15 works out to be another $4,800 of tax benefit that they get. It's, they'll pay $4,800 fewer taxes in that three-year cycle. Now, I, the numbers that I'm using here, you might be saying, all that work for $4,800? Hey, if you're indifferent to $4,800, come see me and, or Roshan, because we're not. Yeah, and, and we, and we're I'm, frugal, and we'll help you start to feel like it matters. But the point is, is that you can, you can raise the scale on this. If, you're, if, you're giving, if Bob and Sally tend to give more, they can do it every other year. Or if they tend to give less, they might do it every fourth or fifth year. But Eric, let me interrupt you, because there's one other sure. thing you need to, I think we need to add on here is... Um, I see a challenge to this being, well, I want to give every year, right? I Like, I want to donate every year instead of every third year to the charities. And I think what we just talked about with the donor advised fund could potentially solve that as well. That's exactly right. Because if you said, to you, let's say your typical, typical charitable recipient for most people might be, let's say, their church. So if you walked in and you said to your pastor, hey, pastor, it's okay if instead of us giving every, each and every year... Uh, we gave just you know we gave it all in this one year and then we skipped for two years. Your pastor would probably say, "Well, you know, I guess that's okay, but it might have a conversation with you about, <laughs> you know, what's how's your heart going to be working for the next t two years where you're where you're not giving it all, <laughs> or, or you know, so you can use as you said the donor advice fund. You could instead of giving it directly to the church or whichever other charity that you're you're is your main recipient for this sort of thing. You could instead give it, gift it into the, the Bob and Sally donor advised fund at XYZ Charitable Foundation. I, we gave you four examples earlier. And now you can just tell the, that charitable found, or the, your, you know, instruct the charitable foundation to gift from your donor advised fund 
what is this essentially $750 a month for the next 36 months using why, how did I arrive at that? Cause that's $9,000 divided by 12 months is $750 a month. And you just do that month after month after month, you got all that tax benefit, that $4,800 tax benefit in year one, but your, your, your church or whichever other uh, organization to which you normally give is feeling the love month in and month out with seeing that $750 come in the door and they're, then they're loving on you for, for setting it up that way. Yep. So your charity, your church, and in, in this example is, is not harmed at all in terms of their cash flow and their budgeting because they're still getting your money on an annual basis. You just get the additional tax deduction. And I'm going to add one more potential thing to this as a, a thought or an idea is um, if you're doing conversions from a traditional to Roth IRA, a good potential opportunity for you is to make charitable deductions in those years. Use the bunching strategy or the donor advised funds when you're making those conversions because converting, uh, let me explain the concept first. Converting money from a traditional to a Roth IRA, you take money that you've put into a traditional IRA pre-tax and you convert it to a Roth. Once it's in the Roth, it can grow tax-free and you can withdraw it tax-free. There's also the benefit of no required minimum distributions. So there, there are a lot of good reasons to make that conversion. The one hurdle is when you make that conversion, you've got to pay tax on the dollars you're converting in that year. So if that is the year uh, you're doing the, if you're doing the conversions, uh, you could potentially, one, you're going to pay at your current bracket at the very least or go up a tax bracket. Well, maybe that's the year you use this bunching strategy that we talked about and you have the charitable deductions to at least help offset that to a certain degree, you know, getting your itemized deductions up. So I think at the beginning, Eric mentioned that we've got a lot of ideas for you, but they almost work best combined. And this is just another one where uh, if you're doing those conversions, it, it might make sense to uh, to take advantage of the tax uh, benefits of charitable donations in the same year. Oh, I love the fact that you introduced the the integration of these ideas because I, I have a, a very specific example that we did with an actual client. So he'd been an executive with a large privately held company, and as such, he'd been issued uh, a, a stock, but it was in this privately held company. Um, over a year after year after year, and he just held, held on to it. And his basis in this stock was really, really low, under a dollar a share. Well, then his privately held company that he'd been part of for so many, many years was bought by an even larger publicly, publicly held company. And so now suddenly, the, everyone who held shares in, that, in the private company was given, those were exchanged for shares in the publicly traded company. And the, the explosion in unleashing that private equity value led to the, his basis in those shares being about 5% of their, their value after. It, it, in other words, his cost for all those shares was only about 5% of what they were worth after this transaction. Hold on, let's put a number to it. So he, he got it for a dollar a share. It's now worth $20 a share. Well, it was over time, it was, it was his total position cost him about $50,000. But after this transaction, it was worth about a million. And so now he's got 
He's got $950,000 of gain in this position. What's he going to do? So I said, let's use the 15% uh, capital gain uh, number on this, just saying. And just round it. It was actually, a, a, let's just call it a million. It was actually more than a million, but I was using that to make it simple. So he, let's just say he had a million dollars of gain that he would have had to pay taxes on. So that's $150,000 in a potential tax bill. Right. So this, the, 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 I said, well, what if we do this? You have, a charitable, you have a charitable intention in your life. Let's create a private foundation. You gift that appreciated stock to this private foundation. Now, the deductibility rules for privately held, or pardon me, for, for stock are capped at uh, 20% instead of the current 60% that you can deduct. You know, up to 60% of your income can be deducted if, for cash gifts, but only up to 20% of your income can be deducted for, for capital gifts of this kind, you might be saying, well, wait, whoa, 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 wait a second, Eric. Are you saying that the million dollars isn't deductible unless he had a $5 million income that year? That would be awful. Now he's not, he's missing out on, he can't deduct most of it. Ah, very astute observation listener. Here's the secret. The federal government will allow you to elongate the deduction period for a gift like this to stretch out, not only in the year in which you make the gift, but also if it can't all be deducted in that year, you can keep using that over a subsequent five-year period. And so that's what, that's what this client uh, had as an opportunity to do. So, but it was still too much against their normal income. And so here's what we did. We took in a nutshell, we took a million dollar IRA and we converted it into a Roth IRA all in that one year. That meant that now it was a, with a million dollar plus income, you might be saying, what? Million dollars being in part the million dollar conversion plus the ordinary income. In that first year, that, that raised substantially the amount that was deductible right off the bat. So for uh, finance nerds like me, that is such a brilliant and cool strategy to do. I want to summarize that. So you've got a million dollars in appreciated <laughs> stock. If you donate that, mil uh, that million dollars right now, the client um, would be able to stretch how much they can claim it over five years, but their income is still not enough to claim all of it. So what you did was you did a conversion in year one and you got to claim all of it in year one then, is that correct? Well, uh, not all of it, but a much larger chunk in year one than we otherwise, and then we could make it all fit in that six year elongated period that I was saying. But the, the effect was by, be, by virtue of doing that big donation of appreciated stock and, and avoiding, like I said, that $150,000 of, of uh, embedded capital gains tax, uh, the, effectively the conversion for this client on that million dollars was was negligible. I think if I if I recall my calculations, and again we'd have to ask the accountant to make the specific determination. I don't remember what the determination was, but my calculation was was net of everything that million dollar IRA got converted into a Roth IRA at a tax cost of about when when you calculate the the income tax deduction and the capital gains tax that was avoided as well as, in this client's case, the future estate tax that would have been incurred, 
it happened for about a 17% tax well, cost. An, an, another piece too is uh, now they don't have required minimum distributions at 72 as well. So I don't know what their retirement looks like or if they have other assets or, but if they didn't need to take uh, the required minimum distributions at 72, if it stayed in a traditional, so they were being forced to pay extra taxes then, well, you helped avoid that as well. We And I'm going to bring us back to one concept from the beginning. We talked about just doing multiple things at once. Well, in this case, um, you used a long-term uh, appreciated security. Uh, you used the private business, uh, which which was in our complex asset category. You did the uh, Roth conversion as well. And now you could have used the donor advised fund, but it sounds like you did a, you started a foundation. Is that correct? In this case, the client had one more intention, which was to try to cultivate in heirs a charitable value, a set of charitable values. And a private foundation has a requirement that a donor advised fund does not, which is you need to have a, a board. And the board has to decide each year at minimum how to gift away 5% or more of this. So this, the technique here was to say to these younger heirs, hey, I need you to be on the board. I need you to help me make decisions about how to gift this money away. I'd love to have your involvement. And so they're now from a very early age, relatively speaking, making decisions about how to gift away. It's been growing you know, fifty, a hundred thousand dollars now, a hundred thousand dollars a year from the foundation. So it was also in part it was a it was a legacy um, tool uh, that that really served a, a purpose well for this particular. Client. Okay, so I, I want to add up some of these numbers, right? Just just to show you what a big potential move this is. There's a, a and federally speaking, there's a hundred fifty thousand dollars savings and capital gains, right? Let's just say they're at the 24% bracket. I know you, you'd mentioned 32. I'm using that because that is, is more average across the country. But you got them to convert at an effective tax rate of 17%, a million-dollar IRA. So that's another 70000 in savings. So that's, that's $220,000 in tax savings, not including all the potential savings that are out there with the, um, uh, with the required minimum distributions. So just think about how how big that is. If they just did the standard thing of, well, I'll just sell this stock. They pay one hundred fifty thousand in taxes. You don't do the. You then donate every year. Who knows based on their um, tax situation if they can take the deduction or not. But I uh, mean, two hundred twenty thousand is a lot of money. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, just ta you're tallying it up. So one hundred fifty thousand dollars of capital gains tax avoided, and in their case, they are in a thirty two percent bracket. So you know, in their you're talking about essentially three hundred twenty thousand dollars of of uh, income tax deductions over the life of that you know stretched out over six years three hundred twenty there and had it stayed in their estate it almost certainly would have based on the the aggressive nature of this client's growth uh, orientation would have pushed into made their estate even under the new tax rules uh, given normal life expectancies it would have been subject to estate tax and particularly if we have a change in um, Tax uh, state tax policy under this new administration, uh, you know, it could it could be even more. So they're just assume even a gentle forty percent tax at the federal level 
on on the amount that would have been still in the estate at that point in time and assume no growth on it, there's another $400,000. And then assume, because the state of Illinois uh, assesses taxes as well, but let's leave that out for now. So 400 in state taxes, 320 in in uh, in income taxes, that's 720, 150 in um, uh, capital gains tax avoided. Now, we're, if I'm doing the math right, we're at 870. So $870,000 of tax avoided. Now, I'm, I'm doing a little bit of double accounting because, you know, the $400,000, yeah, the, the estate tax wouldn't have been hit. You know, you wouldn't have gotten hit with all of that because the, the tax you would have paid would have made it smaller. But that's how I got, I arrived at what I think I told you a little earlier was a, an effective cost on this was of this, uh, well, uh, first of all, of the gift itself was $170,000 to make a million dollar gift. <laughs> after tax and then to do the conversion it that's really it you know it was all the conversion of a million dollar ira was kind of absorbed by all of that so so in effect it was a 17 percent tax cost to move it from uh you know the the ira to the roth i just thought hey we're we're all about trying to help clients save save taxes you know avoid taxes legally and this was uh this was a legit way to go about it. Yeah, this is a really uh cool story. I li- I like hearing moves like this cuz there's so many moving parts and it's just such a huge benefit to I really think to just uh thinking things through and planning it out. Hey, well, we've talked a lot about some advanced subjects and there's many many more that I but I want to leave two for people who are saying I feel a little left out in this conversation. A, I'm not a business owner. B, I don't have a windfall <laughs> A uh, stock position, you know, with a ninety-five percent of it is an embedded capital gain. So we want to give you two ideas. If you're thinking, well, you know, what about me? So we've already given you the deduction clustering idea. That's that's one. You know, Joni, my wife, and I uh, do that strategy. Like, you know, it's it, uh, we're on every other year cycle, and it's just a it works. It's just totally smoothed out, and it works great. So it's a simple thing to do. And if you're wondering how. Reach out to Roshan, reach out to me, and we'll get you, we'll get you uh, set up with that. But the two others are that, that I'll just mention, and I think this one's because we kind of get a little long. I'm just going to mention this and, and give it the brief description, and then we'll spend a little more time on, uh, I'll ask Roshan maybe you just to describe this thing called a, char- a qualified charitable deduction. So I'm going to start with um, a, a more classic approach to getting a, a tax benefit and getting an income stream from making a charitable contribution. And that's to use something known as either you can make a charitable remainder trust or a charitable lead trust. Let me explain what this is. It, you, you gift, let's say I'm going to use, I'm just going to use a simple example. You gift $100,000 to you know, XYZ charitable foundation and put it into, not in this case, a donor advice fund, put it into instead a, a charitable, and I'll start with the first of the two that I gave of a, the remainder trust and the lead trust, put it into a charitable remainder trust. What does that mean? It means that it's going to pay you an income stream while you're alive or for a certain period that you specify and then either when you pass away or that period is ended, then what remains in the account goes to the charities that you've designated. So the IRS has a formula and they kind of back it out and they say, okay, well, if that gift, your life expectancy is still here, you know, that means that through depletion of this asset by that point in time, there will only probably be this much left. So we'll give you a tax benefit now for that fraction of your gift. 
Maybe it's half of the $100,000 you gave. Meanwhile, you get to have an income stream off of that full $100,000 according to the stipulated period. There's a couple of methods by which it works. I'm not going to get into the weeds on that, but there's an income stream for you. You might say, well, doggone it, Eric. I don't need an income stream. I got, I'm flush with income. My friend, I need, I, you know, I, what I want is that I want to get that, um, I want to use that to, to fund charities now. And then when I'm gone, I want the remainder to go not to a charity. I want it to go back to my heirs. Okay. That's called a charitable lead trust. And, and so in this case, you know, you can structure it in either of these two ways so that, you know, income is going to somebody, uh, either the charity or yourself or somebody else you name for that matter. And then the remainder goes to a charity, uh, or, in reverse, the income goes to a charity and then the, the remainder goes to somebody else. It's a very clean, well-understood strategy. It sounds like, if you've never heard it before, believe me, every charitable foundation has heard of it. They'll help you set it up. It, basically, you can, you can go to them and say, hey, what, do you, you know, what would I get as an income stream if I put this $100,000 to work with you in this way? And right off the bat, like I said, in that first year when you make that gift, the re, using a charitable remainder trust, you'd get that tax benefit. Again, if you're looking to boost your deduct deductions in a certain year because you have a windfall event of some other kind or you're going to do a conversion, this is a good way to do it. Okay? So there's the short answer. If you have questions about that, reach out to us. Roshan, what about the QCD, the Qualified Charitable Deduction? Uh, this is a great strategy. I've got clients that, that use this all the time. If you And this year's a little different with the... With the um, uh, with the new tax law, required minimum distributions can be skipped this year. But if you're someone who uh, is over 72 and you are required to take money out of your IRA, um, and you also are someone who donates to charity, particularly if you are taking the standard deduction so you're not getting the benefit of that, well, you can take your required minimum distributions and instead of getting it yourself, you can send it directly to uh, the charity of your choice. You satisfy your required minimum distribution um, for the IRS. You don't pay tax on that money, and it all goes directly to the charity. It's very important to note here that money cannot go to you first. Uh, that money cannot be sent to you in your name. It's got to go to the chair in the charity's name. Now, I've got a client that I was thinking of when we were talking about bunching who likes to give money every month to her church she she will give additional gifts from time to time but she wants to give money every single month so and she wants to give it herself versus having it go to them but there's an easy solution where we use this for her is uh we the check is made out to the charity mailed to her home then she gets to physically take it in herself so the check has got to be made to the charity and it satisfies the RMD, saving you tax dollars, and it gives that full amount to the charity as opposed to post-tax tax dollars. Great strategy to use for those of you donating, in particular, as I said, with the uh, if you're taking a standard deduction. Now, let's just highlight that. This came about a couple years back with the new tax law, and so it took a little while for some custodians to kind of get their act together and figure out exactly how it's done, but now it's been so... You know, it's they've become so familiarized with this. Your the your custodian of your IRA almost certainly knows exactly how to do this, and you know, it will have a very simple process. And uh, you, so you can make this work. 
The beauty is, you might be saying, well, why are we even having this conversation? You know, why not just do, give it in the normal way? Because it comes back to this issue of itemizing deductions. Let's say that you're widowed and you know, your income is down and you just have this IRA, you don't have another account with, with taxable assets you know, and capital gains and all this jazz, and you just want to make these gifts. Well, if you, if you, are, if you itemize it, or for that matter, just you know, give it as cash and don't itemize it, you're not, it's, it may not get any tax benefit for you. But with a charitable, a qualified charitable deduction or QCD, guess what? You get to subtract that off your tax return before you come to the part of the tax return where you get into, are you taking the standard deduction or are you itemizing? In other words, from the very first dollar, it's going to be reducing your taxable income and it's going to be, it's going to be um, uh, therefore of tax benefit to you. So you folks who are 72 years and older, man, what a deal you've got. If you've got an IRA and you're a charitable person, now, now you don't have to worry about missing out on any of that tax benefit. It's just right off the top. It's a beautiful thing. Yep. And you get, you get that right now. It's, it's really easy to account for. And Eric, you mentioned the custodians knowing what to do. Um, <clears throat> the ones that, that I work with, it's literally the same form, same paperwork, right? It's, it's that easy. So def, that's definitely another area that you can benefit from. I'm going to go through what we've touched on just to summarize. Yeah. Long-term appreciated assets, um, uh, donor advised funds, uh, uh, donating complex assets, uh, bunching strategies, uh, using charitable donations in years you are doing conversions from traditional to Roth, uh, charitable remainder trust and charitable lead trust, and uh, finally, uh, qualified charitable distributions or QCDs. So I think we've got a good list. It's a good time of year for that because people have that mindset of um, donating. And I will... We have these, at the end, we like to go into a high impact life or the science of happiness. I'll briefly touch on this today because it lines right up and briefly just because uh, we've gone a little bit longer than we usually like to, <clears throat> but there is value beyond, we talk a lot about taxes because I think we like the numbers and sort of playing that, that game and showing the, the savings you can have, but there is a greater benefit of just making you happier when you donate. And uh, there have been multiple studies done. They, uh, there's a great article that we'll share with you that's on um, Berkeley's website, greatergood.berkeley.edu. And they talk about how the benefits of giving, uh, not, not only beyond the, the tax savings, helping the cause you care for and so on, but one, it makes you happier. Uh, uh, there was a study that found that Giving money to charity makes you feel happier than spending the same amount of money on yourself. Second, it's good for your health. For people who were elderly and volunteered in two or more organizations, 44% of them were less likely to die over the next five years than non-volunteers. Um, and they think the reason is when you volunteer and you give back, uh, it decreases your stress because you feel good. Second, it promotes social cooperation and I'm sorry, third, it promotes social cooperation and and connections. 
when you, uh, your generosity usually will benefit others as well. It's kind of like paying it forward. Uh, when you give and you're generous, it in, other people tend to do the same. Uh, they either see you doing it or they feel the benefit themselves and they tend to donate, which is kind of uh, uh, what they use the term giving is contagious. And the, uh, the final thing is giving evokes gratitude. When you're, that's, if you look into the science of happiness, that's one thing I've seen uh, all over uh, where, where if you, one example is there, say, if you have a journal where you write three things you're grateful for every night, that's helped people with depression and had greater efficacy than many depression medications. So gratitude will just help in general. And when you count your blessings, people who do and cultivate that gratitude tend to exercise more, feel more optimistic, and just feel better about life in general. And they talk about giving gratitude to people around you, telling people around you how appreciative you are of them or thankful for them. And I wasn't planning on this, but on that note, Eric and Adrian, I'm I'm appreciative and I have gratitude towards both of you. Uh, Eric, you make me feel like there is one other financial nerd out there that's that's uh, goes deeper, as deeper as I do. And Adrian, on the other side of that, you keep me sane, knowing that when I go to extremes, how to bring it to uh, to normal level. So uh, I really back. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you know what, uh, Adrian? While I'm talking about you, there's just so much you do in general, not only with the podcast. With everything to keep our office function, I, I don't know how we'd do it without you. So, Eric and Adrian, I'm thankful and appreciative of both of you. Uh, do you have anything to add for our listeners today? Well, just right back at both of you. And, and earlier this week in our prep, I, it's ironic that we're having this conversation, but I expressed to Adrian just how grateful I am for what, uh, what he contributes to this podcast and making it uh, possible for our listeners to get the benefit of all this. So thank you again, Adrian. Roshan, thank you for starting it out. This feels like it's like a somewhere between Thanksgiving and year end. I'm really feeling like suddenly it the, is. We're in the. I'm hearing jingle bells in the background. Yeah, we're we're in that we're in that thank, <laughs> thankful uh, mood, I guess, right now. And uh, actually, on that note, as we always end it off, all of our listeners, thank you for joining us. We uh, do this for you. Uh, we hope you find it helpful and you can take advantage of some of these uh, some of these strategies. Uh, not only with this episode, but really everything. Every every episode, we hope we have something important to you and helpful to you. Please like, subscribe, tell your friends uh, about us. Uh, and if you have ideas in general you'd like us to cover, please share it with us. And also, as Eric mentioned a few times today, if you need help personally, we are we are here for you. This has been another episode of the Retirement Lifestyle Show, and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Show. If you found this show helpful, gained knowledge, or enjoyed the time you spent with Roshan, Eric, and Adrian, tell your friends and leave us a five-star review. This will help others discover the show. To access our show notes, download any of the tools mentioned in today's podcast, or to ask us a question, go to retirewithroshan.com. That's retire with Roshan. R-O-S-H-A-N dot com. All opinions expressed by podcast hosts and guests are solely their own. 
While based on information they believe is reliable, neither Arate Wealth nor its affiliates warrants its completeness or accuracy, nor do their opinions reflect the opinion of Arate Wealth. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and should not be regarded as specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. Finally, our music is The Chance by Jason Shaw and Audionautics. It's part of the YouTube Audio Library and it's licensed under a Creative Commons license. Thank you for listening.